it's the experience, like, because it's a pain to walk up. But when you get to that top, it is like nothing you've ever felt before. It's so amazing. The altitude and the view will just take your breath away. It's <laughs> it's so cool. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 64, Snowmass Mountain 14er Trip Report with Caleb Linville, Daniel Linville, and Dalton Fletcher. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a unique show for you today. Instead of the regular format, we're going to do a trip report from a 14er climb that my two sons and I and a friend of the family did this weekend. We climbed Snowmass Mountain in the Maroon Bells Snowmass Wilderness, the Elk Mountains near Aspen, Colorado. It was remarkable. The goal is to give you a little bit more intimate feel for what 14er climbing is like. We've done several episodes on climbing 14ers, but this one is a more intimate recent trip report. Hope you like it. But first, here at the Adventure Sports Podcast, we have some uh, exciting new options for you. We wanted to make sure that we let you know, so I pulled Travis in here so that we could talk about some new things as well as talk a little bit about our own adventure sports so far this summer. So Travis, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Two things that we think are noteworthy. First, you can now listen to select episodes of the Adventure Sports Podcast via YouTube. This allows you to listen to the podcast on your home entertainment system via a Fire Stick or a smart TV, maybe a PlayStation, whatever. Your home entertainment system, you can now listen to the Adventure Sports Podcast. So it just makes it really easy if you're doing the dishes or or working around the house and you want to plug in a podcast, then all you have to do is go to the Adventure Sports Podcast on YouTube. And actually, the podcasts are posted under 180TAC channel. So if you go to YouTube and search for 180TAC, then you'll see that the podcasts are there, along with some other helpful videos from 180TAC. Yeah, it's nice because uh, it just keeps you from having to carry your phone all over the place, all over the room, or, or into the kitchen. Just lets you play it on your internet-ready TV or whatever device you have sitting there in the living room and listen away. Sure, why not? And we expect most of you are doing what most people do, and that's listening to the podcast on the way to work or something like that. So, of course, we will continue to post the podcasts and publish them via iTunes and our own website, adventuresportspodcast.com, as well as Stitcher and any other podcatcher that's out there. You can find the Adventure Sports Podcast there still. So that was one exciting announcement. Now, the other one is that we have a new way for you to locate the podcasts that you specifically want to hear. So, your newer listeners, you know that we've done over 60 different shows on a variety of different adventure sports. I'm sure that some of those sports are really a keen interest to you. So, Travis, how does this work? So, we put a link at the top of our podcast site where you would normally see all of the podcast episodes, the latest ones that we've put up there. There's a link up at the top that says Find Your Sport, and you can go to Latest Episodes, which is kind of the way you would normally see it, or under that, you see Adventure Sports Podcast Episode Categories. Click on that, and when you get in there, all of our podcast episodes are combined and categorized into their various adventure sports. So we have 
backpacking, uh, camping, hiking as one group, biking, boating, climbing. So you can just go down and find the various uh, categories you, you want to hear and find the episodes that reside in those categories. So it's really helpful, especially if you're trying to spread the word to a friend who maybe likes flying. You can say, hey, just go to this link and hit the flying category. And you'll see all the flying-related episodes down there. So it's really uh, it's really helpful to to find the episodes you're looking for. You know, I don't know of any other podcasts that have done this specifically, and I think that it's a great way, especially because our podcast covers a lot of different sports. We wanted to make sure that you listeners had an easy way to identify the shows that you really wanted to hear. But I challenge you: don't just stick to your favorite adventure sport. You know, we're always promoting all types of adventure sports, and so I encourage you to try out some categories you may not have listened to yet to see what that might be all about. You never know. You might find a new life passion. Oh, yeah. That's our goal with this one is to introduce people that haven't tried or even heard about a certain sport to to listen and, and get intrigued with doing something a little bit differently. So we started the Adventure Sports Podcast for several different reasons, and if you ever listen to episode 000, that episode describes a lot of our motivations, but part of the reason is just to encourage people to get out and to move, to be healthy, to reconnect with nature, however you want to do that through whatever adventure sport it is. It enlarges your life. And so Travis and I have been doing a few adventure sports this summer, and we wanted to kind of visit a little bit about what we've done so far, and maybe you'll get an idea or two for something you might want to try. Travis, what have you been up to? Yeah, so my summer started early. We actually, uh, a riding buddy and I took a, a long trip down to Austin, Texas from Colorado to watch the, the MotoGP races down there and rode our motorcycles down and back, which was a, a fantastic trip. Got a little wet down there. Austin was pretty, pretty darn rainy early in the, uh, in the season. So we got to experience some of that, but that's what makes the adventure. That was great. The MotoGP? Yeah, the MotoGP is a Grand Prix races for, uh, motorcycles. It's a worldwide, uh, series for motorcycle racing, and it only happens twice in the United States, once in Austin, Texas, and the other one is in Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, Travis took a couple of video shots while he was there that he shared with me because I didn't get to make the trip, but I was blown away with how fast these bikes are. Travis, what was your impression? Oh, they're yeah, they're loud and, and all kinds of fast. These are the fastest racing bikes in the world. I mean, these are the, the elite, the top of the top. Every guy out there road racing, girl out there road racing, they all aspire to eventually be, you know, motor GP racer. That's uh it is the uh the cream of the crop when it comes to racing. You know, the video that I saw showed these guys and this was just the trials, right? But these guys were coming into a corner which was a hard left and it was probably a hundred and ten degree corner. On a, on a fairly narrow track, and they were hitting that corner at what appeared to be like 45, 50 miles an hour, and as they came out of the corner, they immediately accelerated to well over 100, just boom, like lightning. It was amazing. They do. They get over to, to lean angles like 62 degrees you know, on these corners, and the one that you saw was the hairpin at uh, Circuit of the Americas, and yeah, they just come flying up the hill. I think it's something like three or four stories elevation gain. They take that hairpin, and they just hammer down the down the back uh, S's, and they just accelerate out there. Those bikes are so fast. That was crazy. You know, I get all excited just watching it because I, I it's just amazing what people can do on a machine like that. But anyway, that sounds like that was a really cool trip. It was good. Yeah. I mean, we led into, uh, after going to the GP races, I took my son riding. It's his uh, second summer in uh, riding motorcycles, so he's still still training. So we went and did some camping and 
some dirt bike riding uh, up in Rollins Pass, uh, west of of Denver. Ended up picking up a Triumph Tiger to add to my collection. Sold off a couple of bikes and picked up a, an adventure style bikes to explore some of those dirt roads out there. Okay, well, hold up now. What what bike did you take down to Texas? <laughs> so the, the bike I took down to Texas was a Sport Tourer. That was a an ST eleven hundred. So it's more of a uh, a long distance uh, touring bike with hard luggage. And then the one that I replaced it with is still has the Harga luggage, but it's uh, it's also set up to do some of the, the forest roads that we have around Colorado. Because if you're going to ride in Colorado, you want to be able to take advantage of some of that dirt, too. So you have the new Triumph. Well, that's pretty cool. So you also, let's see, you, you originally had your, your sport tour bike, you had your uh, enduro dirt bike, and you had a sport bike, right? Yeah, I get rid of the sport bike. Uh, I'm t- getting too old for sport bikes. So I started uh, hurting after a 45-minute ride, so I went ahead and got rid of that. I still have the enduro bike. In fact, I just got back uh, this weekend. I was up in North Park, kind of, I guess, southeast of Steamboat Springs, and we were doing some uh, single track up there, so a real tight single track through the woods. That was a great weekend. Um, just had a blast up there. Very cool. So what else do you have planned for the summer? I'm still looking to introduce my older child, my my son, to uh, 14ers. So we still have on the on the plan before the summer ends to to get him up his first 14er. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, my dad comes out uh, in August, and we're going to take a five day distance ride around Colorado. Uh, be my dad and my one of my riding buddies. So we'll spend a good time circumnavigating Colorado on those bikes, and it'll be able to try the Triumph out on its first long trip during that week. That's in August. So that's five days. How many miles are you going to try to get done? Oh, I think that's somewhere around 1,300 miles is Whoa. what we have planned. That's a lot of riding. Yeah. Makes for a good time. So my youngest son and your oldest son are about the same age, and he, my youngest son, has not been on a 14er yet either. So maybe we should get together and, and see if these boys could make their first mountain at the same time. Yeah, I'd like to do that. I'm sure the boys would love to do it too. Yeah, that'd be cool. Speaking of, um, I just got off a 14er last weekend with my oldest son and my second oldest son and uh, a friend of my oldest son, friend of the family. We went backpacking up to Snowmass and Snowmass had stood out for a lot of years as the big one. And the reason is because it's such a long hike. A lot of the 14ers are really just a day trip. You know, you can be up the mountain and back down again in six or seven hours. And, and you can even sleep in your own bed, drive to the trailhead before daylight and, and do the hike. But Snowmass, no. Snowmass is a 22-mile round trip. And so we said, well, hey, we'll uh, we'll backpack in, which is about nine miles to where we're going to camp. And then we're going to have about a four-mile round trip to the summit and back for the actual climb the next day. And then backpack back out the third day. So we made a three-day trip out of it. So listen, this wilderness area has always stood out to me as one of the most beautiful parts of Colorado. And it is just iconic um, this is the Elk Range, and the Elk Range has several 14ers in it, including the Maroon Bells. So many people from all over the United States have seen the, the photography, the posters on the walls in the roadside cafes of these just beautiful, iconic twin maroon-colored peaks. Well, those are in the Elks Range in this wilderness where we went to go climb Snowmass. The Bells are there, Pyramid Peak's there, Castle Peak is there, Snowmass is there. And capital is there, and all of these mountains are not for the faint of heart. 
they're at least class three peaks, which means hand and foot scrambling. So they're more advanced peaks. But anyway, Snowmass, hiking into this place, I think it was the most beautiful of all of them that I've done so far. I couldn't believe it, Travis. It was great. Yeah, you shared the pictures with me, and that place is absolutely beautiful. I've seen plenty of uh, prints, you know, of of the Maroon Bells in that area, but the photos that you showed from being back there uh, definitely made me want to put that area on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, it takes a little commitment to get there and a little bit of time, but it's worth it. So if you want to go see something amazing, and if you, even if you don't want to climb a 14er, then I would recommend the trail that goes to Snowmass Mountain because it's just so beautiful. You know what? We're going to do a trip report about this. So I'm not going to go into too much more detail except to say that I really love the hike. We can talk about that one more later. Yeah, it's cool. I look forward to the trip report. In fact, uh, I might convince you to uh, to drag me up there again this summer. You ready to do it one more time in the summer? <laughs> you bet. Man, <laughs> I, I would love to go back there. It was really, really nice. That the only cool. problem we had were that the, the deer were a bit too friendly. You have to chase them off. They're just in your business all the time. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. So anyway, we did this backpacking trip. What else have I done so far this this summer? I went fly fishing a couple of times. And we caught some fun trout. And I I enjoy fly fishing, but it's my son, Daniel, that's just really the avid fly fisherman. And he's really good at it. Um, he's 13, and I, I keep learning from him. But this weekend, I went fly fishing and did something I'd never done before, which was I saw a fish in a pool that was probably a 20 feet out. And so I threw a fly out there, and he ignored it, of course. And I kept trying nothing. And Daniel had shown me this, that even the fish that aren't interested can be interested if you throw the right fly. And I thought, well, I'll just play around with this. Took me 45 minutes casting to the same fish over and over and over again. And I tried a variety of things. Finally, I put a tiny little spinner, and that's like a dry fly that looks like an insect that's died and fallen to the water. I put this tiny little spinner on. I threw it out there, and the spinner sank, and the fish took it. And so 45 minutes to catch one fish, but I caught him. Well, that's a good lesson. You're more patient than I am. For me, I usually whip the fly at him about five times, and the sixth time, if they don't take it, I throw a rock at him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't really throw rocks at fish. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen people jump in the river with their net and try to scoop one up in frustration, which never works. Yeah, I can relate to that. Well, this was a little guy, and I wasn't going to keep him anyway. And we were using barbless hooks, of course. And, and I released him within about five seconds of catching him. And he went swimming off happy as a lark. And I just thought, you know what? That was <laughs> that was an experience. But it did teach me one thing, that trout are catchable even when you think that they won't bite. So that was pretty cool. I have a really cool episode coming up soon by the man who manages the international fly fishing competitions here in the Vell Valley. And so we're going to have a show with him. He's going to talk about how adventurous fly fishing can be and also how to fly fish competitively all around the world. So that ought to be a cool one. Yeah, looking forward to it. So what else you got planned for the summer? Some more backpacking trips that I'm going to try to get in and maybe a, another 14er like we mentioned. The family went camping over Father's Day. We had a fantastic time camping in in the woods, not in a campground. We we like to get out a little bit further than that. And I got my motorcycle license this summer. 
So now I am looking forward to a motorcycle ride. So, Travis, I'm either going to have to borrow a bike or rent a bike, and we need to go up. Well, now you're going to get sucked into my way of adventure sports. Once you go (laughs) motorcycles, you don't go anywhere else. That's the problem with it. (laughs) So one thing I did this weekend while my family was gone is I decided to try an off-trail hike, kind of inspired by section hiker Philip Werner. And we interviewed him a few weeks back. So he talked in detail about section hiking and hiking off trail back east, especially around the uh, Appalachian Trail. So that was pretty cool. But anyway, I chose a route that took me through an area that was not pristine wilderness. I wasn't going to tear anything up, and I was careful not to uh, scar the land. But I walked off trail for, oh, about five miles and found my way down to a river that I planned to cross and hike up and then intersect a road so that I could finish the hike back home. Nine miles all all told. But when I got to the river, the snowmelt had flooded it, and there was no crossing this river. It was class six raging craziness. I mean, it was scary just to stand next to it. And uh, I'm, I'm a fairly adventurous guy, and I've crossed a lot of rivers. This is not one you would cross and live. So I ended up going upstream on this other side of the river than I intended, and I got pinched off by cliffs. So I ended up with class five climbing to get over the cliffs, and then I, I had to go, oh, five or six hundred feet back up out of the valley, and then I had to drop back down into the valley, and then more cliffs. I had to go back up out of the valley. Long story short, ended up being a lot more than I bargained for. This nine-mile hike took uh, about ten hours, <laughs> and uh, but it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Amazing rock walls, beautiful water, beautiful forest. And uh, that's kind of fun. Had a lot more adventure than I planned for, but isn't that what adventure is about? Yeah. Well, nine miles off trail is, it can be a pretty brutal hike. You know, nine miles when you have a, a well-worn path and it, it takes the switchbacks and natural curvature of the, the terrain, that can be a nice morning hike. But you take nine miles off trail and all of a sudden you're in for a, a day of it. You're in for a brutal hike because you're now you're you're doing a little bit of bushwhacking and having to get around, you know, the, the terrain and the rock outcroppings that are there. So that ends up being a, a pretty long day. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, Philip, when we had him on the show, he said that when you're off trail like that, then you can probably expect to make a mile every hour or two. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, sense. what? You know, but no, he was right. <laughs> it was it was slow going. You know, when I normally, if I'm backpacking on a relatively level, decent trail, I can expect three miles an hour. But yeah, it was more like three hours per mile on this one. So anyway, we've been having a lot of fun. And I wanted to take a minute just to kind of recap some of that and also tell the listeners out there, thank you very much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it, and we would love to get to know you. So like always, go to our website, click on the Contact Us so that you can send us an email, and we would love to make sure that we stay in touch. If you have any questions about adventure sports or would like to connect with someone who could help you with adventure sports, we actually know a lot of people now, so... Give us a call. We might be able to help you out. Yeah, send us an email. Let us know what you like about the show. Let us know what you don't like about the show, and we just want to hear from you. So we enjoy doing this for you guys, and uh, we appreciate all of your feedback. Yeah, we also have the button where you can click to call and leave us a message about your own adventure sport. If you'd like to do that, we might put it on the show. We'd love to hear your stories. Our shows are categorized now at adventuresportspodcast.com. So you can go to the category you want to find a show about, and there will be a group of them right there. Right on, guys. 
get out there and have some fun. Let us know all about it. You bet. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Kurt. So as promised, we're doing a trip report today about our climb up Snowmass Mountain, a 14er in the Elk Range Snowmass Wilderness Area. And it was an amazing trip. I think it's worth telling the listeners a little bit about it. So I pulled in my son Daniel, my son Caleb, and Dalton Fletcher, who went on the trip with us. So let me tell you a little about these people. Daniel is 13 years old and an avid fly fisherman. He had not summited a 14er yet, although he has been on some backpacking trips over the years and has done a lot of fly fishing. So this was Daniel's first 14er and not a small 14er. Caleb was on an earlier show about an attempt at climbing James Peak last winter when he did some snow caving in a blizzard. So the listeners may be familiar with him. If you want to know more about that attempt, then that previous episode is, I believe, under snow sports in our categories on theadventuresportspodcast.com. Caleb is 18, getting ready to head off to college. It was his idea to take this trip to do snow mass because it's such an epic climb. And he talked me into it, although that's pretty easy because I love 14ers and backpacking, but um, it was Caleb's idea. And I'm really glad that he did talk me into it. This was probably the most scenic, enjoyable 14er I've ever climbed. Dalton Fletcher is a friend of the family who is also 18. And Dalton moved to Colorado, uh, what, Dalton, what, three years ago? Uh, Four years ago. Four years ago. I moved here four years ago, known you guys all four years, which has been awesome. Um, I was a skateboarder in Virginia, where I grew up, and when I came out here, just automatically fell in love with the mountains, all the hills, um, so I switched to longboarding. And then when I met you guys, you guys showed me uh, mountain biking, backpacking, hiking, so it's been really fun four years with you guys so (laughs) (laughs) you bet you know what dalton is one of these fun-loving guys that makes any experience a lot more fun so dalton you're always welcome with us man It's, it's a blast having you around so how many backpacking trips have you done now dalton i've done five now and four of them with you guys and then one was just messing around in the mountains (laughs) very cool and how many 14ers have you climbed i'm gonna say two and a half (laughs) <laughs> Which I'll share the half later, but <laughs> all right. Well, cool. So, Daniel, were you excited about the chance to climb your first fourteener? Yeah, I was. It was my brother Caleb's idea, and I was excited for the fishing and climbing my first fourteener, and just a little bit nervous about the trip. You know, I'll bet this was not an average 14er either. This was a a long hike and one of the harder 14ers, a a true class 3 14er. Did that make you a little bit nervous? Yeah, it did. I was wondering if I was going to make it to the top or if I was just going to get tired and not going to want to go on. Well, when you saw the 14er, once we had hiked up, what did you think? Wow, that's a ways to go. Well, I'm going to switch to Caleb here. Caleb, why did you want to do snow mass? Uh, I wanted to do snow mass because it seemed like an epic trip. Uh, it's a 22-mile round trip. So you basically have to backpack into it to even get close to the mountain. And then also, snow mass has its famous snow field, which is a blast. It's snow year-round, and it just sounded very unique. 
Yeah, I have to say that of all the 14ers, it was unique. Of course, every 14er is, but some are more unique than others, and Snowmass kind of tops the charts for me. Um, the Elk Range itself is amazing, and it's just such a scenic area. And the mountains there, there's a lot of sedimentary rock and layered rock, which makes a lot of sheer cliffs and a lot of loose rock, so that's kind of what they're known for. Snowmass, a little bit more stable than some of them, but still very much an elk range climb. I really enjoyed it. I think my favorite part was the scenery. Dalton, what did you think about that? I love the scenery. Their approach was awesome. Um, all the waterfalls everywhere, just gorgeous. Everything was so green. It, it was a very, very cool trip. Saw a lot of wildlife, just ponds everywhere. It was, it was pretty impressive. That was a lot of fun. Let's see. Let's give everyone a little sketch of how the trip went. So we, uh, we drove in after work to the Elk Range, which is, by the way, it's in the Aspen Valley, and that's about a four-hour drive from where we live. So by the time we got to the trailhead, it was late. It was too late to start heading down the trail, not to mention that it was also raining. And so we ended up camping at the trailhead. The next day, we got up early and we hiked nine miles into our campsite, spent the night there. Day after that, we did our summit attempt on the 14er, came back to camp, crashed hard. <laughs> the next day was nine miles back out again. So we made a, a three-day trip out of it, and it was really, really fun. I One of the things I liked about it, Caleb, was that it was kind of like an expedition climb. We went in, we set up a base camp, and then when we started up the mountain itself, we were actually on snow the majority of the time that we were up there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so it reminded me a lot of a a much bigger climb than what normally is required for a 14er in Colorado. It'd be a great warm-up for a serious expedition climb. Caleb has training for that type of climbing that he got in his outdoor leadership program. And uh, this trip, there's kind of a, a funny angle on it. It would have been a lot nicer had we had crampons and ice axes. But we did not have either one, so we knew that we might be limited on what we could do. But that created a huge kind of question mark about how this climb might go with so much snow. So, Caleb, what was that about? When you're climbing on snow, you often have to have an ice axe or crampons, preferably both. But if you have to choose, I would choose an ice axe. And the reason for that is because if you fall on snow, then unless you do a self-arrest, which with an ice axe is fairly easy, fairly straightforward, but without an ice axe, it can be way more difficult. If you don't do a self-arrest, then you won't stop until you get to the bottom of the mountain. And so that's the challenge with snow. And then you also have to take in account avalanches and things like that, which because it was the summertime for snow mass, we didn't really have to worry about that. But that's sort of what we were dealing with, especially as we got to the final snow pitch, it got really, really steep and we were questioning whether we could kick in steps solid enough to get to the top. You know, I want to rewind a little bit and create the setting for what happened on the actual climb day. So first of all, everyone should know Dalton sprained his ankle about a week before this trip and it was a moderate sprain. He was able to walk on it and hike on it, obviously, but still weak, wearing a brace. And I I was amazed that he even decided to come along with us because I thought, man, that could really be tough. But 
Dalton is tough, and it went pretty well. He, his ankle didn't slow him down hardly at all. Outdoor Pursuits is the adventure hub of Fort Lewis College. This comprehensive collegiate outdoor program not only offers an extensive outdoor equipment co-op that provides everything from tents to kayaks and ski gear to mountain bikes, but also offers a varied trip calendar that includes both instructional and recreational outings from climbing some of the world's highest peaks to enjoying Durango's amazing hiking and mountain biking trails. Our experienced and friendly staff are always up for an adventure and are a great resource for those planning their own outings. Visit the Fort Lewis College website for more information on what Outdoor Pursuits is all about. And remember, adventure is not in the guidebook, and beauty is not on the map. Hello, race fans. Eric Risen here from Yolo Racing. We are a group of firefighters and friends who compete in the Baja 1000, the toughest off-road race in the world. Every year we do race, we go down and through our charities, Firefighters Without Borders and Vancouver Firefighters Charitable Society, we make donations to needy communities down the Baja through firefighting equipment such as Jaws of Life. Last year, we attempted to donate a completely outfitted pumper truck to a very needy town in La Mission. The truck has made it all the way down to San Diego and is waiting at the border. We are in desperate need of some more sponsorship money to get this vehicle across the border for brokerage fees. We do not have the funds to uh, finalize the transition into there. And the community that is expecting the fire truck is technically unprotected from any catastrophic event such as a wildfire. And we, we, I can't tell you enough how urgent it is to get this vehicle across. We are doing fundraising up here uh, through our Facebook page, through our website. We will be doing a couple other events. But however long it takes us means that's going to be a delay in getting that vehicle across. So if we can raise that money instantly, that vehicle will be donated instantly. So if you can, please help us. Look for the donation page on our website or our Facebook page. And that's YOLORacing.com or YOLO Racing Facebook page. Thank you very much for all your consideration and support. We appreciate it. Um, when we started up first thing in the morning, we couldn't find the trail. The reason is because there, there are campsites all over the place, and there are trails that go to different places where people camp. So uh, there were just a maze, a labyrinth of trails. And we bumped into some campers, and they said, hey, you headed up? We said, yeah. And they said, well, this is the trail that you take. You just go up here and, and, and keep going. And we thought, well, great. Someone showed us a trail. So off we went. And we were probably two, I don't know, mile and a half maybe into the hike and we realized that our trail was headed up a mountain pass and not up a mountain and we were completely off route from the recommended route for climbing snow mass so 
we had to traverse across the front face of the shoulder of Snowmass. And that meant that we were over cliffs and we were crossing some 50-degree snow fields, kicking steps in. And at the time, we thought, man, what a waste of time that we were off, you know, off route. But the reality was it was actually a better route than the, the route that we should have taken, which we found out later. But kind of exhausting, put some extra miles onto the trip. We hit the snow fields, the major snow fields that go from there to almost the summit. So, Dalton, what was that like? It was a gorgeous uh, view, but, man, was it steep. <laughs> um, this was, like, the first actual hike where, like, I've ever been on something that steep. So I was a little I was a little scared in the beginning to where it's just like, I'm like, what are we doing? It's like, we can't do this. And to where it's just like where you just feel like you want to give up. You're just like, ah, I don't really – who needs to get to the top, right? Um, but as soon as you get, like, over that – the ridge into the boulder field – Oh my gosh, you were just like, all right, this is why you don't turn around. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was worth the hard approach, every step of it. So, hey, give our listeners an idea of what the view was like. It was amazing. Can you describe it for us? Just peaks everywhere. The clouds were just big, puffy. They were actually pretty darn scary when you were going up the mountain because that's not when you, what you want to see at 1 p.m. Um, the clouds <laughs> yeah. were moving really fast, just rolling over all the peaks. It was just absolutely breathtaking. Um, you could see the above tree line on some, and then others were as green as can be. Um, so really beautiful. Yeah, this summer is a little bit abnormal compared to the last several years here in Colorado and that we have a lot of what I would call late season snow up there. Yeah, there was there was a lot of snow, so all you could hear around you was just the waterfalls everywhere. Yeah, it was gorgeous. The the wildflowers were amazing. Such a wet season. We were hiking through fields of flowers on our approach to this climb that were at least waist high, if not chest high. Just beautiful. It, more different types of flowers than I could that I can name, and all these beautiful waterfalls. And Caleb, what would you add to that view from that snow field up there? Uh, you could see for miles, um, you could see much of the elk range. You could see the maroon bells to, what was that, the south, I guess? Um, and then behind the maroon bells, you could see pyramids. So you could see three epic elk range 14ers. And then down in the valley, you had a gorgeous view of Snowmass Lake. And when you're up that high... If there aren't any clouds, then the sky is crystal blue. It is way, way, way bluer than when you're down at sea level. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a cobalt blue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was It was a remarkable day. I think that the snow field on the 14er made it really unique, and snow masses like that it has this vast snow field we hiked for miles on snow. Daniel, did you like that? I really liked it. I thought it was amazing climbing up the snow. What was your favorite part of the climb? Um, probably the last bit when I was scrambling up the um, class three top part of it. So the boulder field on the back side of the mountain? Yep. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. A lot of loose rocks and really steep. Actually had to do some hand over feet climbing. No longer a hike, huh? Almost like climbing a wall with a rope. 
Yeah, kind of like that. So Dalton mentioned the clouds rolling in. It was a little bit nerve-wracking because those clouds build into thunderstorms very, very quickly in the mountains, and unpredictably, sometimes it'll just develop right over your head. It doesn't even have to come to you from somewhere. It just happens. And watching the clouds get puffier and darker and bigger, we were starting to question if we were even going to summit. The one thing that was encouraging about this mountain was that I knew we had a quick and easy way down the mountain because we could glissade down these vast snow fields. So if we had to get off the mountain in a hurry because a lightning storm came over, we had a quick exit, kind of like having a, a fire escape. So that was nice. It gave us the courage to continue on, even though on a lot of other mountains we probably would have turned around just because the weather looked a little threatening. Did the weather scare you at all? Well, I was a little bit nervous if we had to go down and couldn't get to the top, which would have disappointed me. But I was sure we would have gotten down in time. Dalton, we always ask people to talk about a time that things didn't go right. And this mountain was a fantastic experience for you, but not 100%. Tell us what happened. Oh, so like, as you said, a week before I sprained my ankle and the whole way up the mountain, it was, it was absolutely fine um, and wasn't even worried about it. But um, when we got to the snowfield, I was just kind of trucking on behind you guys, just in your footsteps. All of a sudden, one of the one of my steps um, just gave out, and I just sunk in snow up to my waist. My the, my sprained ankle got wedged under a rock, and um, it hurt going in. But man, did it hurt trying to get it out! <laughs> that was a bummer. Um, so I was pretty bummed about that. Yeah. I, I was disappointed, but um, that just gives me an excuse to go do it again. (laughs) So knowing that you had a nine-mile hike the next day, you did what was prudent. You did the right thing, and you decided not to attempt the summit because your ankle was throbbing. And But that means you got to spend another hour and a half enjoying that view, huh? Oh, yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, I took about probably 70 pictures just of that view from sitting up there. Um, and probably only 20 of the actual um, hike itself. <laughs> so it definitely made my mom happy bringing back um, about 100 pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I really enjoy about interviewing guys your age is that you always have the, the joy of kind of first experiences. I know this wasn't your first 14er and it wasn't your first backpacking trip, but you talk to some of these guys and they've done so many that they're just like, yeah, I climb mountains. You're like, well, tell me about it. Oh, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) But I get that enthusiasm from you guys and more descriptions about what it's really like. So Dalton, we're going to switch to Caleb and let him describe the final ascent and the summit because the rest of us did make it to the top and then what it was like coming back down to where you were. So Caleb, what was that about? We got past the snow, and then Snowmass is a Class 3 14er, which means that you don't have to do any serious rock climbing or anything, but you do have to use your hands, and you do have to be conscious about rock slides and things like that. So we got up above the snow, and then the last few hundred feet, we were climbing over these massive, loose boulders. And so we worked our way through that, which was a little nerve-wracking. There was, well, you could see all the way down to the valley below us at that point, so you knew that if you took a wrong step, then you wouldn't stop. So that was a little nerve-wracking. 
we finally got to the top, and another very unique thing about Snowmass was that there is this little pinnacle of rock at the top, which is the actual summit. The rock is, oh, probably five or six feet tall, but the top of the rock is only about two by two feet. So you can sit up there, and that's the actual top, but that is the smallest summit point I've ever seen. And it was it was really fun to see that. And then when you got to the top, you could look off of 360 degrees of gorgeous peaks. You're almost the tallest peak there. Um, you had gorgeous views of Capitol and the Maroon Bells and Pyramid. And then you could look out and you could see Grays and Tories and Long's Peak. And I think you might have been able to see Evans too, although I'm not sure about that one. And you just look out and it's incredible. Because of the weather, we only stayed up there for a little while, but the time we were up there was really, really special. You know, a couple of points about this climb. Um, Caleb mentioned some of the Front Range 14ers, Long's Peak, Grays and Tories, Evans. Those those are like 200 miles away. <laughs> so that's the kind of view we're talking about. Daniel, once you got to the top, what was that like? I thought it was great. And being on that teeny little summit was a fun part of the trip. What was the view like? It was just amazing. You could just see 360-degree view of red mountains, green mountains, and then capital off there. Was it hard? Was it as tiresome as you thought it might be? Um, Actually, it wasn't this time. I don't know exactly why, but... I was able to not get super tired. You know, I think that you just decided that you weren't going to be exhausted and and it was mind over matter. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) You're pretty good at that. But I found this mountain to be a little bit scarier than some of the mountains that I've been on. Listeners, if you go back and you listen to the episode about mountain climbing that was uh, done by Jeff Golden from the Colorado Mountain Club, he told a story about climbing Snowmass Mountain and how there was a rock slide that actually claimed a man's life, which is really sad, but it was on the same mountain. And so that was a little bit spooky for us. Those big rocks that we had to scramble over were loose, and it's very easy to see how you could trigger something that could easily crush your leg or take your life. So, you know, another aspect of it that was kind of personal to me is as we were looking over at Capitol, we could see the peak and the knife edge. And it's just an amazing peak. Capital is so cool. But as I was climbing down Capital many years ago, I ended up in a couloir of, of kind of polished rock with loose rock on it, and the whole thing slid. And I had to race across tumbling boulders to get to solid rock that I could grab a hold of. And this rock slide went off about a two or 300-foot cliff. I realized how close I had come to my own personal tragedy And so here we are up on Snowmass Mountain, beautiful view, weather is kind of spooky, and I'm looking at the place where literally I almost died, and thinking about the podcast we just did where another man did die, and a little bit nerve-wracking, but we used a lot of caution, and it was a lot of fun. Snowmass Mountain is an incredible 14er. Caleb, how did we get off this mountain? We hiked back to where the snow started, and then we sat down. And we slid down the mountain. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, we glissaded all the way down the snowfield, which the snowfield covers three-fourths of the mountain. So a lot of fun, fun glissading and very quick transportation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can. Uh, it might take you two or three hours to get up the snowfield, but we could get down it in 15 minutes. So that was a blast. We glissaded down to where Dalton was waiting for us. And then, Dalton, you got to Glissade, too. Was that your first time to Glissade? Uh, yes. <laughs> what yeah. was it like? It was it was awesome. It was like setting up a toboggan run in your backyard. Just the whole goal is go as fast as possible. Once you see one person do it and he gets up at the bottom all right, you're just like, all right, now it's time for some speed. And <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely amazing. It was my first experience doing that, and... I would definitely, definitely do it again. Well, I have to make mention to everyone that glissading is is a blast on nice, solid, consolidated snow like we had. But in the wintertime, it's a good way to get buried by an avalanche. So be aware of the conditions and what you're doing. But glissading this time of the year when the snow is solid, it's it's not going to slide, not going to go anywhere. Uh, It was a lot of fun. You get soaked. And sometimes the snow flies up in your face. You can't even get a breath of air. It gets so wild. You're going so fast, you think, I'm completely out of control, but then in the end, you stand up and, and laugh, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it was amazing. Um, there was a couple times where you can get off course a little bit just because, like, your foot would hit a patch of snow or something, and you'd get off course, and that'd kind of scare you a little bit, so you just start flailing around. Um, but in, in the end, you had full control of whenever you wanted to stop. So if someone was at the bottom yelling rocks, you could just put put your feet down and slow down to a comfortable speed for you. So it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a great time. Really was. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Colorado Mountain Club members get the most out of the Colorado summers. We summit 14ers, enjoy relaxing fly fishing excursions, climb thousand foot rock faces, backpack through wilderness areas, explore the culture of Europe, raft through the Grand Canyon, and so much more. The Colorado Mountain Club teaches you the skills you need to safely maximize living in such an awesome outdoor playground, as well as connects you to thousands of other adventure-loving mountaineers. Founded in 1912, the Colorado Mountain Club acts as a gateway to the mountains for novices and experts alike. It's the perfect time to sign up for a membership. For more information, go to cmc.org. That's cmc.org.
on the way down, we did find the correct route that we're supposed to have taken, and we were amazed. The correct route was horrible. <laughs> Describe what that was like. Um, It was like sliding down rocks. Not sure where the path was, um, just that the one we took up was a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> there was a trail that we went up on the way down. Man, it was just a scree and talus slope, and... Really, really, really steep and really, really, really loose. We had to have one person go at a time because you can't have anybody moving above you or you're going to get, you know, a, a 50-pound rock in the side of the head. So kind of crazy. We would go down, get out of the way, next person, go down, get out of the way, next person, go down, get out of the way, and repeat that 500 times, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a very trying time. <laughs> but in the end, like, everyone made it down safe. No one got hit by anything, so... And then you, at the bottom, you could just look back and be like, well, glad we didn't go up that way because that could have ended bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough route at the bottom, no doubt. Just above the lake, between the lake and the snow field, it's one of the steepest, loosest sections of a 14er that I've had to do. So it was pretty messy. And then it didn't get much better when you got to the lake. You had to work your way through willows. There was a trail that cut through the willows, but... It was so overgrown that it was very, very difficult to work your way through, and it was exhausting and good eye pokers. <laughs> eye pokers. You know, one of the things that happens to me when I'm really, really tired and something is just relentless and won't let go, right? I, I get giddy. I start laughing so I don't get mad, and I, I can laugh so much I can't even move. We made it about two-thirds of the way through these willows, and they were all leaning to the left, which meant that I was constantly bending to the left, and after a while, your back starts to hurt, and you feel like you're stepping off the trail. I don't know. I, I got to a point where I had to stop, and I just lost it. I started laughing, and the guys are laughing at me laughing, and I can't stop because <laughs> I'm just like, you know, we're exhausted. By this point, we had done so many miles, and we'd been out there for how many hours? Like six? Yeah, it felt yeah. like five or six. <laughs> oh, well. We had not had proper food because, you know, you can't carry a full gourmet dinner on a 14er. But long story short, man, those willows at the end of a long climb like that, they, <laughs> they were just kind of disheartening. Yeah, it was just like a slap in the face, literally. <laughs> yep, it was cool. Well, I'm going to let Daniel talk about the fishing that we did on this trip and what it was like to hike back out. But... Caleb, would you like to sum up the trip for us? Any closing thoughts? Very unique, one of a kind. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible. There's not really any good way to describe it, except that it's incredible, and you had to be there to know what we're talking about. Uh, I would highly recommend it for anyone who who wants to do a more serious 14er that has a long approach, and it's every single step was worth it. The reward was fantastic. Cool. And Dalton, why would you encourage people to try 14ers? Um, to try 14ers? Yeah. Just the experience, like, because it's a pain to walk up, but when you get to that top, it is like nothing you've ever felt before. It's so amazing. The altitude and the view will just take your breath away. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's so cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, what about this specific 14er? Um, this specific 14er, I honestly, it has, it features like almost every single terrain, 
has different challenges for you. So if you're more if into the harder climbs and um, harder climbs with greater reward, this mountain is definitely it. I've gotten so close to the top, so I'll I'm gonna have to do it um, again just to peak, and then I might do it like five times again just because the views were amazing. Um, glissading was awesome. The wildlife was good. It was just it was a really good experience just to be um, that far away from the outside world, just looking at like that's our little bit of heaven right there. Oh yeah, that was really really it was neat. Really cool. So Daniel. This mountain was pretty tough, actually tougher than we thought it was going to be. And uh, we got back to camp, and of course, we're all just exhausted, wanting to collapse. But let's talk about fishing. Fishing was the other reason that you really wanted to go on this trip. So there was a, a stream that comes off of Snowmass Mountain that flows through the valley. And it's not huge, but it's big enough to hold brook trout and stuff. So uh, you went fishing, even though we're all just exhausted, yeah, right as it was getting dark, I got my rod and put my line in for a little bit, and it was some of the most aggressive trout that I've ever seen. They just wanted to get on that line. So tell us a little bit about your trout fishing. What kind of a fly were you using? At first, I was using a um, 20-incher, and then I switched around a little bit. I think I went to a path or upper legs type thing. So what's a 20-incher? Describe this. It's a fairly big fly, usually about size 10 or 12. and So that's the hook size, 10 or 12? Yeah. So for those people who may not be familiar with hook sizes, 10 or 12 is kind of like a, a small size that you would use for a bass. Maybe that would be more like a panfish size. Yeah, it's about an inch long or so, and... Yeah, it's a, one of the small, smaller hooks used in regular fishing. But it's big for trout fishing. Yeah, pretty big for trout fishing. Okay, and so it was about an inch long. Now, was this a streamer or a dry fly or what? It was a nymph, and the nymphs are the fly designed to fish under the surface and drift just like a bug that's caught in the current and drifting. So did you have a dry dropper, or were you just fishing straight with a nymph? I was just fishing straight with a nymph with a Euro leader. Okay, so you had a cider on the line, and you, so you were using the, the Phipps Moosh style. Yep. You had fun fishing even though you were exhausted, and the next day we had to hike out of this place, which was nine more miles out with a heavy pack. And I have to say, you were impressive, Daniel. You're uh, You're not real big yet, and you just did a fantastic job, so... On the way down, we went by a series of ponds. It looks like originally they were beaver ponds, but now they're just kind of ponds that are still there. And uh, we fished a little bit more there, so what was that like? Uh, it was the best fishing of the trip. First off, I started with um, a dry fly with an emerger pattern off the back of it. And then I cast it a couple times. Then the, a fish came up. But I got a little bit too excited, lifted up my fly a little too quick. And then really soon after that, I did another cast. And a nice trout just came up and took it. And I set the hook, and it was fighting really great. And then the hook just popped out. And <laughs> I was like, oh. After that, well, you and Caleb were catching 
fish on the Roadrunner. Now, the Roadrunner is a streamer that you invented. Yeah. We should tell people that. So it's an underwater fly that you use to strip line. It's a streamer, and so it, it kind of mimics a minnow or maybe even a leech under the water. But you invented this fly. You made this one up yourself, and it, it was fantastic. Man, the fish are going crazy over it. Yep. So you saw us catching fish with a Roadrunner, so what would you put on your line then? Um, I put on this fly... This one actually came from a store, even though I tie most of my own. It's called a Sculptzilla. I casted with that a couple times and then landed a nice 12-inch brook trout. Nice. So you said a Sculptzilla? Sculptzilla, like sculpin, which is a type of fish that inhabits a lot of rivers. Oh, cool. So is that a streamer or a dry fly, or what is that? It's a streamer, which means that it's... Usually subsurface, you strip the line through the guides to bring the fly in and make it look like a live fish or a leech or something alive like that moving. And so you started catching the trout with that. So how many did we catch right there at that one pond? I think altogether it was about nine or ten trout. <laughs> That's crazy. It was catch and release, so we let them go so they could live and swim another day. But it's amazing how these mountain streams... Um, they're not heavily fished like the stuff that's closer to town. So the fish are more aggressive, it seems, maybe less shy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. When we backpacked to Middle Lake a couple summers back, you would cast, and when your line hit the water, the fish would be scared and dart away. Then they would turn around and say, ooh, what's that, a yummy snack? And they would eat it. <laughs> Come right back for it. So for this kind of mountain lake fishing or pond fishing, what size rod and weight of line would you recommend? Um, probably three or four weight. Probably four weight to handle some streamers and the dry flies. Okay, so the heavier weight is for what? It's for casting those heavier flies, as in the streamers, because they often have bead heads on them or they pick up water, which makes them heavier. Okay. And so about a four-weight would be right. Well, cool. So, Daniel, do you tie your own flies? Yes, I do. I find it a great hobby, and it's really fun. It's like making a sculpture. Oh, that's that's a neat way to think about it, a little microscopic sculpture of a bug. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's awesome. How many flies have you tied, do you think? Easily more than 500. How many different patterns do you know how to tie? I really don't know. Like, I know, I'm sure I know how to tie like 20, probably a lot more than that. Well, Daniel, it was a lot of fun having you there. And I have to say, I was a proud dad having you on top of the 14 and, you know, the opportunity to celebrate with you a great climb and then to fish. And I know how much you love fishing and that the fishing was really good. So, Daniel, would you recommend other people to, to try this hike to do snow mass? Yes, I would. It was wonderful. It's a little bit. Hard to get in, hard to get up, hard to get down, hard to get out, but it was just a wonderful experience, and if you're willing to put the energy into it, it's really, really rewarding. Oh, that's cool. So, Dan, would you mind if I uh, let our listeners know how that they could get in touch with you through me? So if they have questions about fly fishing, you could give them tips. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listeners out there. If you would like to know more about fly fishing, and Daniel's being really humble, I've been watching him as he's learned, 
and he is an excellent fly fisherman. He catches fish when no one else can, and he uh, has learned all the different styles of fly fishing, how to fish in different conditions, lake, creeks, rivers, with variable visibility, you name it. Daniel really is a quite experienced young expert at fly fishing. So if you would like to know more about fly fishing, then simply go to the Adventure Sports Podcast Click that contact us button, send us an email, and I'll make sure that you can get in touch with Daniel and he can hook you up. He'll tell you where to go, how to fish, what you need, and it'd just be a lot of fun. So Dalton, I know you have a funny story for us. Tell us about uh, how you slept the night after the 14er. The night, <laughs> the night after the 14er, um, we got up probably around, we got up before the sun came up, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, we were up really early and so I ate um oatmeal for breakfast and then just ate bars on the way up and the three mile hike up was just absolutely insane to where you were just you were just every step was a challenge and you were just getting tired and tired. Um so on the way down and going down wasn't that much easier, um, except for the glissading. So by the time we got back to camp I was just beat. So I'm just like, I'll just go in my tent and lay down for a couple minutes just to relax my back, relax my legs. And before I knew it, um, I woke back up and it was pitch black outside. So I'm just like, well, maybe it's dinner time. So I rolled out, started walking around. Like, well, everyone's in their tents. I'm like, this is weird. So I turned on my phone and it was 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> um, so I'm like... Well, I'm like, well, might as well go back to sleep. So I go back to sleep and wake up again. And you guys were already up and packing. And I'm like, dang, I'm like, what time was it? And turn on my phone again, and it was 9 o'clock. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so on the hike out, I was really rested. <laughs> you slept for, I don't know, probably from about 5 o'clock at night until, like you said, you know, 9 o'clock the next morning. And what was funny about it is we were eating dinner and we thought, man, Dalton's going to be hungry. We tried to wake him up. There is no waking this guy up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. out. I've been told I'm a very heavy sleeper. <laughs> well, we, we had to give up and just go to bed. But Dalton, it was fantastic to have you on the trip. Yeah, thank you for letting me tag along. It was amazing. Yeah, um, it was a great trip. Yeah, but you ruined all the hiking for me because now just that'll be that'll be what I expect when I get to – a hiking trail because if I don't have those views, I'll just be disappointed. It'll be like, like ah, we should have done snow mass again. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a tip for you and for all the listeners. I think a lot of people know this, but it took me. I, maybe I'm dense. It took me a while to figure it out. But when I first moved to Colorado, I was here for a year, and then I had to leave for uh, about 20 months, and then I moved back. But when I left Colorado, I I was so in love with the state. And I had enjoyed so many things, 14ers backpacking, camping, uh, you name it, rock climbing, rappelling. I mean, it, I, I fell in love hard with Colorado. So when I left, I was so sad to be leaving the state that I uh, really wanted to live in. Well, I ended up in an area that is pretty, but, you know, not necessarily world-renowned for natural beauty. But I decided I'm going to take advantage of whatever I can find while I'm here and you know what? I was blown away, Dalton, because I, I started spelunking, scuba diving, found amazing 
um, caves and places to hike that I never knew existed there. And I found that every location has its own beauty in its own way. So the big, grand, glorious views that we got from the trail and from Snowmass Mountain, I mean, they're, they just knock your socks off. But there's beauty everywhere you go if you take the time to look for it. All right, so that means I'll just have to do some more backpacking trips with you guys and see if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'd love to have it, man. Hope you enjoyed this trip report about Snowmass Mountain, and it gives you a little bit more intimate detail on what it's like to climb 14ers into backpack in Colorado. We've talked about 14ers on the show before, kind of from the, the big viewpoint, but maybe this trip report gives you some insights on a whole nother level. So thank you very much for your time today. And until the next show, get out there and have some fun. Would you like to be a guest on a future show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the contact us button. 